So this is a conversation with Nadia and Alia from the Queer Arabs podcast. We spoke about what it's like to host a podcast about LGBTQ Arabs, the guests they have on, and how queer Arab activism has changed in recent years. We of course especially focused on the period of time since the 2011 uprisings and the aftermaths, including, uh, for example, the recent crackdowns in Egypt. We also spoke about why representation and visibility matter, and the difficulties of tackling both homophobia in Arab spaces while also struggling against forms of homonationalism that use LGBTQ rights to push for anti-Arab slash Muslim hatred. Finally, we also spoke about what's next for the Queer Arabs podcast and what is next for them personally. Just a quick trigger warning first, we do talk about suicide as we mentioned Sarah Hagazi's death. And on the more technical side, I will apologize uh, from now uh, for the echoes that you'll hear. Uh, they shouldn't be too much of a bother, but like basically I'm in the middle of a move so the sound quality isn't as good as it might be otherwise. This will probably still be the case for the next few episodes, but uh, after that we'll go back to normal. So thank you for your patience on that. So as usual, you can follow the podcast on Twitter at FireThesetimes. And if you like what I do, please consider supporting this project with only $1 a month on Patreon on buymeacoffee.com. And you can also do so directly on PayPal if you prefer. Patreon is for monthly, PayPal is for one-offs, and Buy Me Coffee has both options. And if you cannot donate, you can still help by reviewing this podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you. Alia and I go by she, her, or they is fine. And my family is Saudi, one side of the family. The other side is white American. Um, I grew up in the United States, currently in, in DC. And we started a podcast a couple years ago called The Queer Arabs. Um, hey, I'm Nadia. I'm quarantining also in DC. Um, I'm Lebanese American, uh, she or they pronouns. And um, I've, I've recently gotten on board with this podcast as a co-host. So let's, let's talk about the podcast. How did, how did it come about? Um, like, what was your intended purpose, let's say, while starting it? And how have you seen it? Uh, because now you've, you, you've done like 121 episodes at least so far. Yeah. Uh, so that's, that's, that's quite an achievement already. Congratulations. So Thank yeah, you. Let's yeah. talk a bit about its history. Cool. Yeah. Um, so in March 2018, um, it was kind of a spur of the moment decision because I had been looking on iTunes just out of curiosity. I was like, I wonder if there's anything like queer and Arab um, that pop up under podcasts. And I couldn't find at the time, I just couldn't find anything. And then the co-host named Ellie, who has not been on recently um, because she's been at her mom's house and like doesn't have the privacy needed. But anyway, mm-hmm. so Ellie and I just kind of talked about how we weren't finding that particular topic on iTunes. And then I was like, huh, I wonder what would happen if we tried, like, (laughs) (laughs) if we tried making like a couple episodes, like, how do, how do you start a podcast? And then we kind of took it step by step and ended up putting out three episodes, I think, back to back, just out of just as like an experiment. They weren't good. They were like, (laughs) we didn't have good equipment. We didn't know what to talk about. And like, we, I don't know. I, I, 
don't think I'll ever go back and listen to them myself. <laughs> but I then got in contact with um, Shiam, who is a friend of ours. And I was like, hey, what would you think about coming on as a guest on this podcast? And it just kept going from there. We ended up having guests on almost every episode. And um, we are not running out of things to talk about. That was what I was afraid of toward the beginning. I was like, I, I feel like we're going to hit a wall eventually. Yeah, and there's no wall. There's yeah. no wall. It, <laughs> like this podcast is, it, it feels like it's just starting yeah. still because um, there's just so many amazing people that we are getting connected with and um yeah and i i think nadia said she joined kind of recently as a co-host i think it's been a while actually um, you, yeah you, I, I can talk about my involvement yeah. um so uh alia was coming to new york where i lived pre-covid a lot to podcast at events for a certain period and we kind of connected and we're hanging out there a lot and sometimes i would like co-host at an event we were doing or um co-host if i like knew the guest or knew what they were doing and it was so I, I've kind of been like gradually getting more involved and then yeah when I got here and <laughs> had nothing to do for the first few weeks of quarantine um kind of uh stepped in more concretely I I, I guess I want to say I feel like the whole purpose of this podcast has really shifted and yeah. like the whole landscape it's in I mean even just two years ago it seems weird thinking about it like in the historical times yeah. of 2018. Um, but yeah. I think I think y'all came into it being like, we don't see a lot of, not that there weren't, weren't like creators and organizers out there, but I think it was just hard for people to find each other at yeah. the time. It was like, you, you would Google queer Arabs and not much would come up in like a very basic visibility yeah. sense. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and I think y'all kind of started from like a, okay, we're gonna create quote unquote create representation and now it's so much more about like kind of connecting different branches totally. of um artists and organizers and just yeah like connecting different facets of this community and directing them towards each other more than like we are the ones creating the thing you know yeah exactly mm -hmm. i feel like now this i mean this podcast in my mind has always belonged to everyone in away but mm -hmm. i feel that more than ever now like i feel like this is such a collective project and that's what i love about it um i don't i don't think of it as like oh this podcast belongs to any particular person yeah. um and that's I, I that's something that i love about the format we have um and like yeah, I think the, I think the long, just the, I mean, I guess this is probably something you thought about too with creating this podcast that mm -hmm. we're doing right now, but just yeah. the um, long form podcast format, I think yeah. makes a lot of people comfortable because yeah. something mm -hmm. that a lot of people we've talked to hate about a lot of the press they've gotten is the way it kind of either takes what they say out of context or, um, pins them into like very specific stereotypes like either you're just depressed or you're yeah. just flashy and fun um you know and right. I, I think uh we can talk about like better ways of doing all kinds of media but just kind of giving a lot of space where you can talk for yourself in how any, however many ways 
feels right, it, it can be just a, a format that allows for more complexity. Yeah, like an example I'm thinking of, and this is kind of related to what mm -hmm. Nani is saying, um, is Maljodine we had on. And one thing that we got to talk about is like, as soon as there was like positive press about Tunisia related to LGBT rights, that's what the world knew. And it got and, and like, like blown. It wasn't even correct. It got very. It was like there's gay marriage yeah. in Tunisia. Right. And then <laughs> got so. It was so oversimplified and like and blown up. Blown up. And that's something that we talked about with that guest about just like how we need to have these deeper conversations uh, with people who, like in this case, with people who live in Tunisia and actually understand the situation rather than just like you know all of the all of these articles that were going around about like Tunisia is you know it's solved like the LGBT <laughs> we fixed Tunisia we fixed it <laughs> yeah so that's been um that's been a helpful yeah a benefit yeah, yeah, I guess yeah. a helpful benefit of this format of long form no, for sure. And I, I realized while you were talking that, I mean, when you mentioned Shiam, I, I, I was asking myself, is it the same Shiam? But then it's not even a common name. And yes, we're talking about the same Shiam. Of course yeah, we yeah, are. Yeah. <laughs> of course you know. <laughs> yeah, she, on, she's yeah, pretty. Yeah. Wait, you had her? Yeah, I had her on just a few weeks ago. Wait, okay. Yeah, okay, yeah. let's go back and listen. Yeah, to we yeah. will. <laughs> oh my no, god. No, I, I know her quite well by now. She, yeah, I would she's awesome. She is, she is pretty good. Yeah, she's amazing, yeah. So, uh, so on the format, um, I, I mean, obviously I agree since I'm also doing this now and, uh, it's been something, you know, I launched this, uh, in the middle of the pandemic. So I mid March and it was the, the really, I mean, I've been thinking about why did I, I, I launched this podcast, but really the, the alternative was just not working for me. I was unable to write for a while. Mm -hmm. Um, and talking about why that was the case, uh, felt more yeah. useful essentially which is how it, it kind of started and like the slogan on the um, the website like the de facto philosophy i suppose of the the queer podcast is like we exist Mojudin. and mm -hmm. yeah and we talk a bit about uh well you know it probably to, to you for i mean it's gonna be uh self-evident but for those who may not be as familiar let's say why does it matter so much to actually say that we exist? And I mean, even asking that question sounds utterly ridiculous, but let's talk about it anyway. Sure. Yeah, actually, I'll, I'll go back to the beginning of the podcast. Uh -huh. At first, that little slogan said there are at least four of us because it was like <laughs> Ellie and me and then two people who were doing the Arabic side of the podcast. Yeah. And so at first it just said like there are at least four of us. And I feel like the fact that we changed it to we exist is very symbolic of like how the how how things have just like changed at least for us um because at first we felt like we just weren't finding a lot of queer Arabs to connect with that's just where we were at at the beginning yeah. and then um eventually I just felt like this this slogan doesn't make any sense anymore because there are at least thousands of us, you know, like we, we just keep connecting with people. And so then we change it to we exist. And yeah, I feel like the significance of just, I think it's a very powerful political statement to say like, we're here. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess I think of two main reasons why like that seems important to me. I think first, like personally, there's the idea like in Arab communities, and I think especially here, it's the idea that like no, our people don't do that. That's like an American thing. Yeah. yeah. And like, if you're being queer, that's because you're Americanized and you've been corrupted, blah, 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 blah. Um, and then kind of on the other, on the other hand, like this, a similar or like, like the, the mirror image coming from certain like American whitewashed queer communities. Like if you mm-hmm. want, if you're queer and you want to participate in queer culture, then you're, you have to totally separate from yeah. that other culture that you grew up in. Like that doesn't belong here. Right. Um, and, and there's not an, yeah, on both sides, it's the same thing. It's just not acknowledging that those two things can coexist. And for me, like for a while I, I bought into that idea and I thought that That's like true. to be myself, I needed to assimilate into this very like whitewashed, um, queer scene which eventually I realized didn't entirely speak to me either Mm -hmm. um and then I think on a broader political level um and I I think this like different versions of this could be said in each context but um I think I'm going to speak to like how certain ideas have been used in American politics lately Mm -hmm. like American homo nationalism like the idea that like using the idea of like the lgbtq community which we assume is just american i guess um Mm -hmm. and saying that we need to and using that as a prop for xenophobia like i think the the biggest image i can think of this is like trump holding up a bad like lgbtq sign at his rallies before he got elected and saying things like justifying the muslim ban with like we need to keep these people out to protect the LGBTQ community. Of mm-hmm. course, he doesn't give a fuck about like queer people in the U.S. Even, but it's also the yeah. idea that like those things aren't simultaneous. That um, there aren't queer people in any of the countries you're banning that could be speaking for themselves, and whether yeah. this is beneficial to them in any way. Um, and I think, yeah, I, I think, in in. A lot of political climates but in, including in this one those identities have kind of been pitted against each other and with, with really really terrible ends like that's been used to push along trump's campaign after the orlando shooting and it's been mm-hmm. used to push the muslim ban and um i think just saying that we exist kind of ruptures that narrative yeah and, pushes back on that um and i said at the beginning of the podcast a lot like that there was this compartmentalization that we had to do so much of like, if you're in an Arab space, you're in an Arab space. If you're in a queer space, you're in just a queer space. Right. You can't yeah. combine the two. Otherwise, it'll everything will implode. People won't understand. <laughs> people won't understand. Something bad is going to happen. Bad is we gonna don't happen. know what, but it's, yeah. just, it's not good. You cannot overlap the two. <laughs> um, and then also there was this experience in Houston where um, an Arab American community center, uh, what, like they were offering the use of space because they wanted to get a certain age group to start using it. Cause it was always like children or like older people who would event, who would attend events there. 
And so they were really trying to get that age gap filled. Um, so I brought up the idea of like an LGBT social group or support group in this really beautiful empty space that they had <laughs> that wasn't used very much. And the response we got was the community isn't ready. And so that, that spoke to, I mean, that just said everything, like just that sentence. It was like, okay, so you are saying I'm not part of the community. Mm -hmm. um, despite the fact that I checked the box of Arab, but because I'm asking to have like a queer related social space, all of a sudden I am on the outside of this little bubble that you perceive to have. And like, you're not acknowledging the people who do exist in your community. Um, and so I thought when I, when I like changed that little slogan on our website, that came to mind too. It was kind of like a, I don't know if we can swear on this podcast. Yeah, you no, I already said fuck. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I said Trump doesn't give a fuck. Oh yeah. yeah. Okay. Too I didn't late. Even late <laughs> I didn't even notice. That's just, <laughs> uh, but yeah, so it was kind of like a fuck you to that community center and to all contexts um to all spaces that do that to yeah. people and to like um dismiss such large percentages <laughs> of the population like that and just like pretend that we don't exist i mean it's it's an act of violence in itself it's not recognized as such and i think that's part of the problem obviously but when when you the evolution from uh, I don't know if we can call it an evolution, but let's say like the evolution from um, there's at least four of us to we exist. Mm -hmm. um, it just reminds me of the recent conversation you've had also with Tariq Muhammad yeah. on your podcast. And because he said something that um, uh, really hit home, which is mm -hmm. that not wanting the next generation to go through the trauma traumatizing events that uh, we are going through in this generation. So kind of really thinking about the future, essentially. Mm -hmm. And I mean, although my experience personally, I'm, I'm straight and cis, so it's obviously not the same. I do recognize the impulse um, with what's happening right now in Lebanon in general, with the crisis in, in general. It's just something that you you feel as well. Like when, 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 when Tara said this, did, you, did it really um, echo with you? Um, how would you interpret it, I guess? Yeah, I mean, not, I, I don't want to like equate any, anyone's experiences, but I think just in general, like we all experience different types of trauma in, in, in various ways and to various degrees. And I think, uh, I think what he says just really speaks to the type of person he is, because I feel like there's people who are like, because I experienced this, I want to inflict it on other people in the future. Mm -hmm. And that's how we get like all the trauma cycles that we're in. And then there's people who are like, because I experienced it, I want to make sure to stop no one cycle. else does. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I uh, I would agree with Nadia. I think like um, just wanting to finally do something to end a cycle, um, like someone has to do it eventually. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah. I think one thing you said is like I don't think we're the most qualified people to do it, but like someone needs to. Right. Yeah. 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 I agree, of course. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. Sorry. Oh, no, and just like the fact that this now is such a collective experience the, with the podcast, I don't feel that anymore. I don't feel like 
oh, I'm not qualified to do this. I'm like, no, I, I'm part of this community. Mm -hmm. I have a place here. Everyone has a place here. Yeah. And I think, I think it's multiplying, you know, like once you connect to a few people, you connect to more people and then that gives other people like more support or inspiration to go do their own thing, which is great. Totally. Yeah. 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 Um, you mentioned something along the, the same lines in the episode on Sarah Hagazi. Mm-hmm. And uh, at the beginning, I will record, I'll record sorry, a separate intro mentioning trigger warnings and everything, of course. Yeah. Okay. Um, the, the response after she took her own life yeah. um, really set, felt like this was a different moment uh, from like we've had, we saw there was a small vigil, I think, in, in Lebanon. There was definitely quite, mm-hmm. I, I went to one in uh, here in Geneva. Um, and there was quite a lot of them in, in the States and in Canada, of course, yeah. Canada. How, how did you feel that moment? And, you know, obviously, uh, describe it and however you feel most comfortable. Um, mm-hmm. and would you, would you agree that it did feel like a different moment in, in at least in the, because like, so to expand a bit, like the negative stuff were there, were still there. They didn't, they didn't go away. The, the hatred, yeah, yeah. the, the the horrific things that um, Adam mentioned on, on the podcast. And maybe if you, if you don't mind to kind of uh, tell those who haven't listened to the podcast about, about that as well, he referring to like the fact that he, he I think if I remember well, like on, on Facebook and he saw families and like friends from, you know, childhood friends and everything actually also being openly homophobic towards her and stuff. Um, right. So like that still existed, obviously, like we're, we're not pretending that things were just fixed overnight. Sure. But there was definitely, it felt like the moment of solidarity was much greater this time than, um, unfortunately, uh, you know, with, with previous cases of, of, of either suicides or uh, horrific, uh, mm-hmm. other, other horrific cases. Would, they, would you agree with that? That was my perception. I, I felt, I mean, yeah, I did see a lot of um, negative comments online and stuff but i felt like the there was a sense of collective mourning yeah um i felt like that was more powerful um should we give some background on sarah yeah 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 yeah. Yeah. so for a bit of background um she was a um egyptian activist in a lot of regards but um one of them is being an openly queer woman Mm -hmm. um she was arrested after uh, raising a rainbow flag at a Mashua Leila concert in, was it 2017? 2017. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and yeah. was um, arrested and tortured in really terrible ways. Mm-hmm. Um, later, uh, I think, got asylum and, and was living in Canada and uh, continued to be an activist, um, was really looked up to in the community, uh, recently took her own life um for you know and and that that's obviously really complicated but Mm -hmm. um in addition to just like the effects of what torture and trauma does to people um one thing that was mentioned was that due to her uh, legal status she couldn't access mental health care yeah so that's um just kind of a lot of things have come up about this for a lot of people but i think one of them is just the idea that like leaving isn't isn't the like end all answer like it's mm-hmm. not right. you know like for some people that's they, they see that as like oh that's the end point that's success she got out and mm-hmm. I, I think a lot of people maybe like look to that like oh if i can just leave that's but it, it's not like it's yeah. it, the effects of what you experience don't go away and like mm-hmm. 
the U.S. isn't a isn't a safe space, and Canada isn't necessarily a safe space. Same for like Europe or wherever yeah. you're looking at as the endpoint. Um, and I, I think it kind of, yeah, that 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 point I think shattered a certain like idea that maybe some people have been clinging on to. I think there's just a lot of um, yeah. knowledge that she's someone we know about. Mm-hmm. And obviously there's more people. Like she was a very open, known activist, but obviously there's so many other um, yeah. queer people in and from the region who have done similar things. And, and like we never maybe some of us know personally and uh, maybe some of us will never really get to know the real reason. Hmm. Um, One thing that uh, came up surrounding Sarah was um, there's a a website called, I think like for queers who can't mourn in public. Yeah, it was about like queer grief and how a lot of that has to be done anonymously. Right, Um, like there's people who are taking their lives in and without being able to say publicly and there's people who are grieving without being able to say publicly because that's not safe for them um and i think yeah so there, there's i think there's collective mourning going on on multiple levels like yes there's the yeah. the vigils and then there's also the people who can't safely go to a vigil and in in, in various mm-hmm. ways are still able to express themselves and find each other but um yeah. Yeah, it has brought up the idea of like the right to grieve and how not everyone is given that right still to go through the like, whether it's ritualistic or not, whatever a person needs to do a lot of times like they can't openly take all those steps and it's because of like fear for themselves and fear for like what others will do to them if they find out like oh this is something relatable to me yeah. because of the queer aspect and yeah for example um so that i i think that website has shown has kind of like highlighted that as an issue that's just like not very often discussed yeah and I think, like, obviously it's about Sarah as a person, like, she's not, all, and I don't want to make that jump, but, like, totally. I, in addition to being about her as a person, like, I think the collective mourning has also been just, like, releasing of all the, like, un, mm-hmm. unsaid and, like, latent grief that's been yeah, kind of hidden in other contexts, yeah. Right. And also, like what Nadia said, the after- um, like after arriving in like a a country that maybe you're seeking asylum in or whatever, like there needs to be a discussion of what what happens next. It's not just it's over. Everything's yeah. Resolved. Sometimes like the story, like the news we talked about, like how news stories like cut things short and like spice like, them up. Yeah. And sometimes it's like that's that's like the happy ending in the news story. Like yeah. oh, you got to Canada, but that's not that's not like. Yeah, yeah, it's like someone with PTSD is now in a new environment without family. Which can be and racist and have a bunch of legal mm-hmm. challenges. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah. I think that got people talking about that. Um, 
And yeah, just the fact that like all this happened to her because of raising a flag, yeah. like, yeah, you know. Yeah, um, it's, it's important to to reemphasize that at the end of the day, that was the like that was all she did at that concert. Right. Uh, it it may have not even been a, well, I mean, it is a political statement by default, mm -hmm. I guess, because the personal is political in this case, but it was in just a moment of joy at a concert, a Mishra Leila concert, obviously yeah. not a coincidence that it's Mishra Leila, mm -hmm. whose yeah. frontman is, is openly queer. Right. Um, and yeah, it was, uh, that photo, of course, the, the one of her, you know, happy with the, the flag and uh, on mm, top of someone's shoulder. Right now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, this, this is a moment where I would imagine she felt like this was a safe space. And the fact that it was followed by all of this really makes it all the more difficult, I think, to, to think about. Yeah, um, yeah. And what happened to her, uh, her story, and, you know, s same as you, it's, it's very difficult to talk about something so that is so difficult already due to how, how um, well, how the story ended, I guess, or part of it anyway, um, mm -hmm. because we don't want to just reduce her to a story, obviously. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. But unfortunately, part, part, a big part of the problem uh, in our region is also how in, and I, I believe Tari also mentioned this, if, I'm, if I remember correctly, yeah. how also there is the tendency among in many of our, let's say, quote unquote, our circles, which is difficult to say in the sense of like progressive leftist circles, yeah. right. to sometimes not talk about this and to even say like in, in, in Lebanese Arabic, like, Hala mishwata, like now is not mm -hmm. the time for it. Yeah. And I wonder if we can talk a bit about the fact that when, when we say this to someone, like when a non, and here I'm saying we vaguely, because uh, when, yeah. I'll, I'll just speak for myself, if I tell a uh, queer Lebanese, for example, that now is not the time to talk about LGBTQ rights, and uh, let's mm -hmm. just talk, let's fix the country first, and then we figure that out. That's, that's the common thing that, that, that we often hear. Um, how do you actually tackle this? Because I mean, I can only imagine how frustrating this must be and how exhausting this must be. So how, how do you discuss it? Because I know this is something that you've discussed in, in your podcast as well. Yeah, I think like, I think that for, like first response is like, okay, well, when is like yeah. when everything else is perfect and there's no problems in the government, like, like is that going to happen? Or are you just saying never? Like that's just not realistic. Um, and and then uh, maybe this they, is they getting. Are saying, they are saying never, I suppose. At the end of the day, that that is the. Yeah, when, when Lebanon has this perfect, shiny, functional government, like. Of course. Yeah, that then then we start working on this. Like when? Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but okay, maybe this is getting a little too theoretical. But I also think like it's not unrelated the way we were talking about how like gender is related to sectarianism and 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 nationalism and our ideas of like what it means to be a leader like mm -hmm. we can't recreate systems under like under patriarchal ideals of leadership and then just shift them like that's not going to happen um i think i ideally if if we're considering like 
feminism and, and queer inclusion and liberation from the beginning in any movement. That's not just mm-hmm. like an add-on that's going to shape the type of leadership that's being created. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then right. that, you mentioned the link between sectarianism in the context of Lebanon sectarianism and yeah. And gender sectarianism and patriarchy, we could say the same about nationalism more broadly in places like Egypt and, uh, you know. Yeah, totally. Um, that, that's kind of a global phenomenon, but since we're focusing on the region. Um, you mentioned, in, so we mentioned in the beginning, um, like you have Saudi and Lebanese. Are mm-hmm. these identities that um, you've... <sighs> I don't even know how to ask this question. This is the problem when I, whenever we get into vague or t- theoretical territory, uh, I don't actually know how to formulate the question without sounding ridiculous, so I'll just say it. Okay. Uh, <laughs> We're podcasters, we yeah. get it. <laughs> we deal with this too. <laughs> um, have you seen, the? if you want to focus on Saudi Arabia and Lebanon and maybe Egypt as kind of tangentially, which is because we, I know you've been talking about it a lot on the podcast, Right. Have you seen uh, the movement towards LGBTQ rights, however vague that sounds in the first place? Um, have you seen a change in the past few years? Uh, has it been a mainly diaspora thing, uh, which doesn't uh, demean its importance? Obviously, it would just speak to how dangerous it sure. would be back home, of course. Um, have you seen more of an openness, more of a relative openness? Yeah, like how would you actually think about? the situation notwithstanding the ongoing pandemic and the crisis and you know in the respective countries and so on so from conversations i've had and from what i observe um related to saudi arabia i Mm -hmm. feel like what we're seeing is all very surface level and um whereas in, in reality like on a deeper level there is progress among society but like that's not being conveyed to the rest of the world and it's because there's this still kind of a hush-hush mentality of like um okay I'm going to support you but like I can't be public about it Mm -hmm. um so that's been my personal observation of like it's been easier over time to have personal conversations at least with some family members and then like I've had I've connected with other like queer Saudis but everything just kind of happens on the DL and there's no like real I I just haven't seen like public displays of support Mm -hmm. um so I feel like that um there's something to me that's very shallow about that and I hope that aspect will change. I yeah, think like when people say like, I support you, but I would never say that. But like, don't tell else. anyone yeah, else. Yeah. yeah. Um, in the past four years or so, five years, there has been a lot of like more artistic expression in Saudi Arabia and going and coming with that has been like these, I don't know, like there has definitely been a correlation between that and um, the limited progress I just mentioned um, mm-hmm. related to like LGBT related conversations that are finally happening, um, which I guess just goes with the the concept of expressing oneself. So it, 
it makes sense that it um, is happening at the same time that like artistic expression is more and more possible. Um, so that's what, yeah, so that's what I, you know, I, I know I can't like speak for everyone, but no, that's no. just like what I have seen, I think in, on the US side, like in the diaspora side, I have met several queer Saudis and that's kind of a new, that's a new thing for me and that's been cool. Mm. Um, and just like being able to talk about the experience mm. with others has, for, has been like personal progress for me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in terms of Lebanon, I feel like, well, first of all, like, yes, totally. I feel like there's been a bunch of progress um, regarding like organizing, but also with like caveats on that. Um, like, Halam has been doing great work. Um, yeah. Lebmash is doing great work in terms of like changing the medical field and mm -hmm. um, declassifying homosexuality as a disorder and um, getting the egg tests to be like officially banned. Um, mm -hmm. I feel I've seen like so many more like artists and like openly queer creatives. And but then it's also like in what circles and how, you know? Yeah. Like like, like there's there's a lot that every people are saying, wow, I couldn't have imagined this. But um but also that sometimes that gets blown up like same way we were talking about Tunisia, like sometimes that gets blown up like Lebanon is all gay and happy, <laughs> um, which is, you know, I, I, not not really what's going on. I think that's very like yeah. um, class based in terms of who's actually totally. seeing some mm -hmm. of this queer art and organizing and it's, it can be very like centric um mm -hmm, which mm -hmm. which obviously is a place to start but yeah. like there's like, there's a lot there's a lot more of lebanon that exists yeah. um and like, i'm gay root sounds kind of cool yeah <laughs> I, I can't deny um and obviously like there's Le lebanon is rough right now in general um yeah. but i think like looking back a bit like i see a lot just a lot of great work that's been done because of the ability to organize more publicly and have registered NGOs and I feel like in general yeah. kind of censorship of expression in Lebanon is just very like flaky and on mm -hmm. off so mm -hmm. you know there's been like certain attacks but then there's also a lot of stuff that just doesn't get addressed so like that's you know it's a threat but it's not a, um, a block Mm -hmm. right from my perception yeah yeah and then um as for Egypt I think like I don't know I I know I can't like speak on too personal of a level but I just I don't know Sarah Hagazi's death I think was just a reminder like I think one thing I've, I've um realized from talking to more uh, people involved in activism in Egypt is like that it wasn't always like this, you know, like there was a yeah. time when, which I mean, we know, but it's easy to kind of forget it mm -hmm. that like there was a time when Egypt was considered like more sexually liberal and open right. and like progress open for organizers. is so not yeah. linear. It's just such a reminder. And I think, yeah. you know, um, sometimes 
like recently cracking down on queer rights is just a way for governments to like flex mm-hmm. and show they have power yeah and just make a make a like a swing at a group that's unpopular um in order you know and i think like more obviously there's religious conservative i don't i don't want to like get too far out of my lane but like obviously religious conservatism is a source of homophobia but then there's Mm -hmm. also just like using queer people as kind of a prop to swing around like we want to show that we have power we want to show that we can like assert conformity we want to maybe like throw a bone to religious conservatives and using crackdowns on queer people just as a as a as a mechanism with just like with tragic effects um but i i think I see that as a lot of what's happened in Egypt lately. Right. And I'll just revisit one last thing about Saudi Arabia. I've, mm-hmm. um, from what I have heard too and like seen is that a lot of like any public expression of one's identity as queer is often seen as like making a political statement that pushes back against the government even if that's not what the person is doing and I think that's what the like the government uses at least there and and elsewhere Mm -hmm. um where they're just like okay you're yeah I I think it kind of match I don't know what the laws specifically are in Saudi but I feel Mm -hmm. like a lot of places like people don't get um attacked under like uh, a, a law about sexuality like I know in Lebanon it's like sex against nature but um, yeah. like in other places it's more like uh, disturbance Deviance of the or peace something. or yeah just things related to being disruptive or right. anti-government um, and it's I think it says something that people put like queer expression under that yeah, yeah. even if it's not like a literal statement against the government that the person's making like there yeah. is that connection that yeah what's the word there's a word i'm trying to think that's a literal charge and it's um not like disturbance of the peace deviance or something i i it's slipping me but but you know what i mean um like like a very generic like like um, you're just going out and being loud and weird um that kind of charge (laughs) (laughs) not something that's like explicitly about um sex or sexuality yeah yeah it does say a lot that 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 is how the governments themselves uh, frame it. I think yeah. that, that in itself speaks a lot to how it's perceived. Um, yeah. On a final-ish note, uh, yeah. I, one of the de facto slogans or whatever, um, like I would say the, the philosophy of my own podcast is that the personal is political. And mm-hmm. from what I could gather, like this is something that uh, is an underlying theme as well of the Queer podcast. Um, yeah, absolutely. Would you say that are there, so let me ask it this way, are there events in your past or in your present even, like, or I don't know, whatever, that yeah. you would credit with really pushing you to uh, being more vocal, to activism, to whatever, however we want to call it, uh, mm-hmm. or is it, was it, I'm not saying necessarily there would be like these light bulb moments necessarily, but whenever I ask these questions, like, is there something in your past that pushed you to yeah. doing this? Most people tend to have a few memorable experiences whether for good or for bad i think for me um it was definitely that 
conversation with the board or the well the president sorry the president of this arab american center in houston and yeah. just hearing that like those words about the community as a rally really it, it's obviously stayed with me and it pushed me to like I, I just felt like I had to do something to push against that because I was just, I, it was like a, it felt like a last straw for me. I was like, okay, I'm, I'm so tired of being othered for, in, a, in like a space where I'm trying to find a sense of belonging and like, um, I don't know. So that was a, that was like my personal, that's like the, most concrete moment at least for me where i was just like it really pushed me to in this case like start the podcast and then like connect with mm -hmm. activists um and artists yeah i'm, I'm kind of struggling to think of light bulb moments but i think more generally yeah. um i think it comes from there was a time where i really was trying i was act i was trying so hard to be apolitical and to not be perceived as political and it just wasn't working. I just wouldn't be seen that way no, no matter how hard I tried. And I'm thinking especially in like art worlds, like I, I'm a, a dancer and a choreographer and sometimes a writer um, and was, there was a time where I, I, I really thought I could like be myself and also just go into art world j just being like I'm gonna make abstract stuff and be really good at it and be recognized for that and that I, I, I realized I would never like nothing I did would ever be perceived that way no one would yeah like abstraction is of being perceived as like abstract and apolitical is like a privilege that's usually just given to white male artists yeah um you shared an article about that that was really yeah interesting. yeah um yeah. if anyone's interested it's called is abstraction for white people by miguel gutierrez um awesome. yeah but i think before that even came up it was just like a thing that it was a wall i kept running to in my life and i was like i've been spending so much energy trying to be this thing that i i can't be so like I might as well just let my mouth run. Like, you know, I've, I, it's, I can't be political, so might as well just get political now. Like, what's, what's the point of me trying so hard to be this useful, useless thing that the world won't let me be? Yeah. yeah. Um, and so, so, like, what's next for you two, for the, the podcast? Uh, and if you can kind of plug your uh, pluggables as well, go for it. Um, so for the podcast, we are starting to think about like ways of funding, um, funding the platform just so that we can like continue this long term and consistently and like improve it. Um, so we've been during quarantine, we've kind of looked at different uh, ways of doing that. So like we've looked at what does it take to get sponsorship or what does it take to get on a network or mm -hmm. like grants things like that um i i feel like that would i mean that's something that we're hoping to figure out at yeah. some point um i also yeah i also just want to keep connecting with people i mean and we're we were talking the other day about like certain 
countries in the MENA region that we haven't discussed, and mm -hmm. it would be yeah. nice to connect with people. Like who, what's up in Libya? Yeah, what's up in Libya? <laughs> yeah. Um, um, yeah, and I think uh, another goal would just be, like, we've had on and off Arabic episodes, but I think getting them more consistent, more consistent again um, yeah. would be mm -hmm. good. And yeah. I think it's, like, and we, we definitely have these goals, and also it's kind of a a project that's just kind of has taken its own direction yeah like i don't think any of us could have imagined it or no. i don't think you could have imagined it becoming the particular shape all. it is when you started it Not so all, i think yeah. the more like we build a community and the more that we connect with people and reach out to them um the more it will kind of take on new shapes yeah yeah, yeah. and it's and during yeah and then like during now during the pandemic it's just so hard to know like what's gonna when, happen in when anything can, yeah <laughs> when can things happen <laughs> like i know a lot can still happen right now on the other um, hand there was a period where it was definitely it was just easier to schedule time to talk with people because yeah we were all like wait were we're all home. at home yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um so i don't know i yeah i'm hoping to figure out like I, I don't know. We got on Spotify. That was something exciting recently because apparently that is just a thing you need to do if you have a podcast. It's just a thing to do. <laughs> yeah. Um, and our website the is... Pluggables, yeah. Oh, yeah. The, we're at thequeerarabs.com if you want to see, like, all the descriptions of the episodes. You can find us on, like, all of the podcast apps, including Spotify now. And <laughs> we have Insta, Twitter, and Facebook, The Queer Arabs. And then um, my personal Insta, uh, I've started playing violin again. Um, I took a very long hiatus for a different career, mm -hmm. but that was what I studied was violin performance. Um, sorry. Alia underscore and a violin underscores between all of the <laughs> words and I'm just trying to hold myself more accountable and play more regularly and get back to it because I do love it. And then if anyone wants to follow my personal, it's um, Nadia in her own world. Nadia's oh. Insta is great. <laughs> it really is. You like That's a mixed bag. I don't know. I think your Insta is like... So you like, have good content. Like one third <laughs> dance videos, one third like very weird memes, and then one third like anger. <laughs> that, that's an excellent yeah. balance, I think. <laughs> Key components to life. <laughs> uh, Hidi, thank you a lot for your time, guys. Thank yeah, you. Thanks so much for having this us. This is so. This is cool to connect with you. Same here. Yeah, this was really fun. Thank you.